Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Years ago, uh, and, um, and most of you know that our, our fellowship began during the Jesus Movement, and uh, we had a music group, one of the best music groups we ever had, as a girls' group called Living Waters. And one of the uh, songs that I always loved for them to sing, one of the, uh, the most inspiring, was a song that was written by uh, Andre Crouch, which was, uh, I've Got Confidence. And uh, these girls could sing that. It just absolutely would uh, thrill your soul because it was dealing with a, a genuine uh, uh, condition of a human being who caught in the pressures of life and saw no way out. And some of the words that were involved in that uh, was, uh, no matter what the case may be, I know he's going to fix it for me. And in the statement there, this is the imagery of an individual who uh, the circumstances of life are, uh, are uh, bringing a crisis, or as Hector said, uh, a storm, but is looking for some factor beyond their own ability and beyond their own uh, dimension of skill to survive the present problem. And in the text that we're going to read tonight, the Apostle Paul uh, brings us a uh, tremendous statement, and he begins to state his condition, the circumstances of life, uh, and then brings us a tremendous revelation that has to do with confidence. Second Corinthians chapter 1, if you have that, I'd like for you to turn, uh, and I want to begin reading in verse 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, uh, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds uh, through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, and our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, uh, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, uh, 
and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Uh, you also helping together in prayer for us, uh, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Confidence. I want to uh, call your attention for a moment to something that's very apparent here, and that is the feeling of inadequacy. As the apostle relates this and lays out the uh, circumstances before us, he brings to us the understanding. Paul is, uh, is uh, the greatest missionary evangelist that has ever uh, ministered in world history. And yet we're reading in this text here, he's in circumstances where he feels uh, that there's no way that he's going to be able to survive this. I, we just recently did the Bible conference in Prescott, and uh, what inspired this sermon was three of the leaders came to me at separate times uh, who were dealing with a, either problem in their church or a problem in their family or a, uh, a, uh, uh, their own conflicts of their personality uh, or a combination of all of those. And all three of these men during the course of that week said to me, uh, I may need to be replaced. Now, these are all productive men. These are all men who have tremendous impact, have tremendous ministry, have and are making great contribution. They're not in sin, but all of them overwhelmed by the circumstances of life and came to me and said, I may need to be replaced. When I heard that, I, I, I gave them counsel, and they all are still pastoring today, still saved. But uh, I was brought to, to be reminded of at least two occasions in my own ministry when I had exactly that same feeling, felt inadequate to the task, uh, the issues of life uh, were overwhelming, and I felt like uh, there's no way that I'm going to be able to continue and go on uh, because this is a common experience in life uh, and you're sitting here this morning. There's many people sitting here this morning. This is exactly uh, the common experience that you're having with the rest of the human race. Look at verse 9 with me. And in verse 9, uh, he said, We had the sentence of death in ourselves. And he goes on to, uh, to make us to understand he saw no prospect uh, of any kind of way out to escape that. And commentators say... It's possible that Paul spoke this when he was under sentence of death and to be executed. But it's more likely that his work and the contemporaries that were with him in ministry, that they were brought to a position of ministry where the circumstances of that, the pitfalls, the, uh, the uh, assaults that were coming, uh, uh, that uh, they saw that uh, the possibility of coming to the end of their ministry, not being able to work out, uh, and these unresolved conflicts uh, of life. Now, this is prominent uh, in the history of the Bible with believers. We have a man named Moses. <clears throat> the Bible says one day... He's walking along in the process of his uh, uh, occupation as a shepherd. And, and as he's walking along, he saw a burning bush. And, and this phenomena was this burning bush was not consumed. Uh, 
he turns aside, and as he turns aside, God spoke to him and said, Moses, I want you to go down and speak for me before Pharaoh, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is what I want you to do. And the Bible says, Moses, I can't speak. Read it. It's in Exodus 3. Feels totally inadequate to the task. We have a man named Jeremiah, one of the great, great prophets. I was just reading uh, uh, Jeremiah this week in my Bible reading. And as uh, God spoke to Jeremiah, gave him a calling and a task, uh, and uh, said to him, this is what I want you to do. I've ordained you a prophet to the nations. I want you to tear down. I want you to plant. I want you to build again. Jeremiah cries out and said, God, I'm but a child. I don't have the capability to do this. Can you say amen? So this is a common feeling among the human race, regardless of whether you're called to preach or whether you're simply a human being, that there are times when you feel totally overwhelmed to the task at hand and the circumstances in which life catches you. We have Elijah. Elijah's on Mount Carmel. You know the story, 450 prophets of Baal. He is in this contest. Fire falls from heaven, uh, consumes the sacrifice. He has the prophets of Baal slain. Uh, he prays, uh, breaks a 42-month uh, uh, drought. Uh, Ahab jumps in his chariot, and the power of God comes on him. He outruns Ahab uh, to Jezreel, uh, and, but next we find him hiding in a cave from, Jeze- uh, from Jezebel because she threatened to kill him. And the words come out of his mouth, uh, God, I'm a failure. I'm no better than my father's. So as we are honest with the text that is here, this is an experience that every one of us uh, have experienced or will experience. Uh, and there are several things that are quite common uh, to ministry uh, in that. No doubt there are people here. And uh, you have acted on something that you believed uh, <coughs> was from God. God, you felt spoke to you. You entered into some project or some ministry or to some action. And as you just entered into it, you got your hands on Boom, it blew up in your face. And then you said, oh, now, wait a minute. God, you, I, I thought you spoke to me. I remember sitting in my living room with a couple many years ago. They had launched off into a ministry. And uh, they had uh, felt that God had called them and spoken to them about this. Uh, and uh, this did not work out at all. It's a total uh, flop as far as the, uh, the results of the moment. And they're sitting there in my living room. And uh, they're saying to me, they're, they're, they're totally blitzed in their mind. And uh, they are saying to me, uh, uh, you know, w- 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 what's the issue? We thought God spoke to us. Uh, now we, d- we don't even know uh, hardly what our name is. Uh, and I'm having to counsel and this couple today, our leaders, a tremendous couple today. Uh, but this is something uh, that happens, uh, and sometimes this happens. We think that we're, we've got the mind of God. You know, it would be wonderful if the moment that we said, God, I'm going to obey you, he just gave us a blueprint, and we'd say, Tuesday, okay, now next month you're going to do it. It would be wonderful, but that's not what the Christian life's all about. Can you say amen? Let me see how many of you have ever launched off, you were positive that God told you to do that, and it blew up in your face. Let me see your hands. Okay, the rest of you, you're not normal in the human race. I can see that. (laughs) 
Sometimes uh, in uh, uh, ministry you are uh, frustrated and uh, you are dealing with someone who you're genuinely trying to help. You, 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 and you see them before your eyes. Uh, they, are, they are disintegrating right before your eyes. Uh, and you're trying to help them. You're trying to give them direction. And it seems no matter what you say to them or what you do, they're bound to self-destruct. Has that ever happened to anybody? I, I, I counsel people lots of times. And, and you know, you, 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 you say to any idiot could see that they're making a mistake. Right? And you feel like saying, shut up and listen to me. But, you know, being a, can, uh, a pastor, you can't do that because you're supposed to be kind. <laughs> and regardless of what you do, what you say, or all the love or help that you pour into them, they self-destruct right before your very eyes. Uh, and the heartbreak uh, that comes with that, uh, sometimes you feel like uh, you're a total failure. Can't, anybody identify with that? So these are some of the issues that we have to deal with. Sometimes it's personal failure. Uh, Satan is an expert of dredging up some kind of failure or mistake you've made in the past. And in a strategic moment, right when things are going great, he dredges this up and says, what about this? Now does anybody identify with it? So as Paul writes this, uh, we need to consider this because uh, uh, this is a, a, a very real uh, 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 issue. And Paul says, uh, we have the sentence of death in ourselves in verse 9. Sometimes this is the relationship uh, uh, betrayal. And in Matthew uh, 26 and uh, verse 23, says, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish, uh, the same will betray me. This is one of the deepest and most profound uh, uh, issues of life that, uh, that devastates us. I had a pastor call me, and so uh, uh, this pastor's in another area. He's a, a, a planning a church, and, and so he was uh, uh, having a, a, a visit, and uh, some of his relatives were there who were among the dissidents that have left our fellowship and so he's just he's just trying to he's excited said praise god we're going to plant a church in this certain city and uh, he uh, goes back home from this family gathering and uh, this relative uh, then uh, emails a local newspaper and says beware potter's house is going to uh, plant a cult church in and so you need to stay away from that and he's devastated he that dippeth his hand in the dish with me, the same shall betray me. Uh, this is one of the most profound things. Uh, but each of us uh, are, uh, time to time, going to be brought into a feeling uh, of inadequacy. Paul and Barnabas had a conflict uh, in the book of Acts 15, verse 39. Then the contention became so great that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Ma, uh, Paul uh, and, uh, and uh, sailed to Cyprus. Uh, Paul writes uh, in another place uh, in Second uh, Timothy 4.10, I believe it is, uh, Demas has forsaken me, uh, uh, having left this present world. Paul writes in the Scripture uh, that when he was brought before authorities uh, to make his case, uh, he said, In my first answer, all men fled from me. 
Now think about this for a moment, uh, how this is going to affect, uh, and uh, as this apostle writes here, here uh, these people were undoubtedly a part of their ministry team. And so uh, 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 things are difficult. They grab Paul, they put him in a slammer. And here he is, uh, yeah, we're with you, Paul, you know, we're, uh, and he said, my first answer, like quail out of boo, they said, we've got to get out of here, this guy's going to get killed. All of these uh, can bring us a loss of confidence uh, and can devastate us. Let me think with you for a moment about the exploitation of hell. You and I are in a spiritual uh, arena. When Paul writes this uh, and uh, begins to explain in Ephesians 6, he draws a picture and says, Every believer in Jesus Christ uh, is a Christian soldier. He begins to spell out the various uh, 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 parts of that armor, and these various distinctive elements are displayed. Uh, and he says these one, uh, this one word, put on the helmet uh, of salvation. One translator translates that, get a deliverance uh, for the mind. The mind is the arena of spiritual conflict. You need to understand that, Hector, so aptly put forward. This is a, a spiritual dimension that we're uh, dealing in. And uh, as, uh, uh, as we think about that, we have a satanic agenda, and that satanic agenda is to remove from you every element uh, of confidence uh, that you have. In the book of Ephesians, chapter uh, 6, 16, above all, taking the shield of faith uh, with which you're able to quench uh, all the fiery darts uh, of the wicked one. Now this draws a picture for us. In Bible days, when they assaulted a city, generally these cities were wall cities, well fortified, very dangerous, very difficult to overcome. And so one of the strategies they had was to take an arrow, dip that in flammable material, let it on fire, and then go, in came an inflaming instrument to and burned the city out. Uh, and this is why he writes that, uh, the fiery darts uh, of the wicked. The devil is an expert uh, at firing the fiery darts uh, of the wicked. He incites uh, and inflames uh, the mind. Let's get the imagery, because the imagery is there of warfare. And uh, as we make the spiritual application, the devil is able to kindle emotions uh, and imaginations. And as he does that, he brings anxiety, anxiety, and he kindles imagination, he kindles fear. This is his agenda, this is, this is expertise. And so, here you are, you're in church, and so uh, there's two people talking, they're in confidence there, and uh, every so often they glance over at you, and, uh, and the devil says, they're talking about you. Right? You ever hear about the guy that quit going to football games because every time they got in a huddle, he thought they were talking about him? <laughs> See, this is comical, but this is very real. The human imagination has the ability to be inflamed of hell 
and the fiery darts of the wicked are, are kindled against us, our emotions, our fears, our doubts, all of these things. And Paul enumerates this in this passage of Scripture. Now, look at these words. Verse 4, trouble. Verse 5, suffering. Verse 6, afflictions. Back to verse 4, uh, tribulation. And so here he takes uh, these events of life uh, and he exploits them, twists them, and they're deliberately aimed to incite you, to inflame you, to cause division between uh, brethren, between uh, uh, workers and their pastor or whatever. And this is his expertise. And all of these are designed to strip from you every sense of confidence uh, that you have. He will do this sometimes in various circumstances of life over workers. You, as a pastor, you launch a church. I want to tell you that uh, uh, there's a wonderful thing to, 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 uh, to grow up uh, a church and launch a worker. Can you say amen? It's a thrilling moment. But don't be under any delusion that that's going to just happen and nothing. Over and over and over again, I've had pastors uh, launch to work, uh, and it seemed like all hell broke loose uh, in that, uh, because the devil is an, uh, is an expertise, uh, and maybe you have a worker that uh, this is a failure. And so the devil says to you, oh, that's uh, what you, <laughs> you thought you were going to launch a worker, did you? Well, all the people you turn out are exactly like him. They'll all fail. See, this is the devil's expertise. Your children. You know, you, you can raise your children the best uh, that you know how. You can raise them with an example, giving them no experience uh, or no, no uh, excuse, rather, to uh, go bad. But, you know, uh, they can still go bad. How many of you know that? God created two children. They both went bad. Because there is a choice that must be made. In Ezekiel, he even writes to this, said, don't say to me anymore uh, that the parents ate sour gra- grapes and the children's teeth are, go- are set on edge. Every single individual is responsible to make a decision where, whether they're going to live for God or not live for God. I had a pastor, his wife, and uh, uh, this pastor's wife uh, was devastated uh, by... Uh, by a daughter uh, that is raised in a good Christian home, uh, and uh, the tale of woe. Uh, she's she's weeping as she's telling me uh, the horrible situation uh, uh, that's there. And in those periods of time, the devil always will come to you and say, "See, oh, yeah, you you're a good Christian, are you, pastor? Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, uh, what about your children?" What about this son? What about this daughter? If you'd have done the right thing, then they would have lived for God. But look at it now. Anybody identify with this this morning? See, what we're dealing with is the ability of the enemy of our soul to take, exploit every event of life, to accuse you, to bring guilt to you, to bring condemnation to you, Uh, When uh, you've done nothing wrong. Job did nothing wrong, the Bible says. He's perfect and upright. uh, But in spite of that, uh, the devil assaulted uh, 
Uh, his family assaulted his finances, assaulted his body, uh, and assaulted his integrity. Uh, and the Bible says he was a perfect uh, and an upright man. Pastor Mitchell, you mean when I'm doing the will of God that these things are possible? <laughs> Paul was doing the will of God. Are you still with me? But uh, the Bible says uh, that in spite of that, uh, he's brought into... Uh, there's troubles, uh, there's afflictions, uh, there's disappointments, uh, there's suffering, uh, there's tribulation. Uh, and so you have to remember that Jesus said the thief comes not but for to kill and to steal and to destroy. This is his business, uh, and you're all going to experience this uh, sooner or later. This brings me, my sermons always give a way out, Amen. Young pastors, you need to understand when you're talking about troubles, woe, and sorrow, always bring a solution. It'll help you to build a congregation. <laughs> Here in this text, we find a tremendous truth, and this is the dimension of grace. Uh, and as we ponder this, uh, there's more needed this morning than some psychological, uh, uh, mental gymnastic. We're in a supernatural arena. I, I, I'm a product of, uh, of the denomination. I went to the denominational and was uh, uh, in their Bible school. And I well remember in Bible school taking a course called pastoral psychology. It was in Freudian uh, principles that, uh, that, uh, that we're getting this, these lessons. Uh, and uh, I well remember the instructor saying, uh, uh, prayer's okay, but these people need help. Uh, God deliver us, can you say, from unbelieving Bible school teachers. We're in a spiritual arena. And as we're in a spiritual arena, there's no kind of psychological uh, gymnastic uh, or no kind of slick counsel that's going to solve the problem we're talking about this morning. In Ephesians 6 uh, and verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, uh, but against principalities and powers uh, and demon spirits in wicked places, uh, in high places. Uh, and this is what we're involved with, uh, is wickedness in heavenly places, and that is a raid against you as an individual, and you're not going to solve a spiritual issue uh, with uh, a carnal uh, exercise. Look at verse 9. We not trust in ourselves. Uh, 26 translation says uh, we lose confidence in ourselves. Thankfully, uh, Christianity is about a Savior. Christianity is not about uh, uh, structures, not about General Motors uh, uh, organization or, uh, or pyramiding. Christianity is about a Savior. And in this text that we have before us, verse 10 uh, says, He delivered us uh, and does uh, deliver us. Verse uh, 4, 2 Corinthians 1, Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Um, for those uh, uh, who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted uh, by God. So here we have the premise, uh, and that premise and promise is of comfort and of help uh, in the difficulties of life. Uh, and I want to bring you to uh, the issue of the hour. Hector stomped all over this point for me this morning. 
It's about resurrection life. Now think with me for a moment, because resurrection life isn't just something that Jesus one day is going to blow the trumpet and we're going to be resurrected. It's not just about the rapture. Resurrection life isn't just about someday when all mankind that has ever existed will be resurrected to stand in the judgment seat before God. Resurrection power in life is what I want to talk to you about this morning. And it's not reserved just for the rapture. It's not reserved just for the judgment day. It's not reserved just for Christ's resurrection, nor is it just reserved for our future It is a tremendous principle that we need to think about uh, this morning. Here's Lazarus. He has died, and by the time Jesus comes there, he's been dead four days. And uh, when Jesus comes on the scene, Lazarus' sister says to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, uh, he's been dead for four days, and he stinks. Anybody sitting here that feels your situation stinks? then you're a wonderful candidate for resurrection. There's marriages here, no doubt, this morning that is dead and stink. There are ministries here this morning. I, have not a, I know this is Friday, and you've been, uh, you've been pepped up and encouraged all week, but I, I believe there's still maybe a stinking one around here or there. That maybe a little resurrection life could do something for. Here's Lazarus, uh, and he's been dead four days, uh, and Jesus stands before that tomb uh, and says, Lazarus, come forth. He comes hopping up. <laughs> I mean, this is a wonderful, this is not a Sunday school thing, this is reality. We're involved this morning in the most wonderful thing in time or eternity. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that talks about the power of God's resurrection life through Jesus Christ working in the picture of life. Ezekiel has a vision. He sees a valley of dry bones, and this valley of dry bones is very great. And God says to him, Ezekiel, can these bones live? You know, Lord. (laughs) And he says, speak to these bones. And as he speaks, this glorious principle of resurrection life uh, is loosed. And before his eyes, bone upon bone and sinew and flesh, a great army, because God is able to make dead things live. Can you say amen? Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 1, 9, and 10. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. In the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul talks again in chapter 3 about this wonderful resurrection life, and he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. 
and that I may attain to the out-resurrection of the dead. And as he talks about that, he's talking about something beyond just the resurrection of the dead in the general term. He's talking, and he uses a peculiar term. Bible students uh, will uh, begin to study and recognize that. He's talking about the out-resurrection of the dead or experiencing resurrection power in your life and circumstances uh, today. As you're sitting here this morning... Let me ask you this question. Has your confidence died? Then I want to tell you, good. Now you can have a spiritual resurrection. This is the message that we have here. Stay with me. Hebrews 10, 34 through 36, Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven, therefore do not cast away your confidence. You know, it would be wonderful, uh, as I've said before and said last night, you bow your knee, uh, you're born again, uh, and from there on, it's a wonderful roll, roll, roll your boat gently down the stream. Uh, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. But you see, the reason Paul writes that there, therefore do not cast away your confidence, uh, because these people were throwing away their confidence. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Not only this, but here's a wonderful blessing and the promise of other people that are praying. How many of you believe in prayer? Do you know what prayer is? Prayer is a human being laying hold of God in a supernatural dimension uh, and seeing God hear and answer their prayer. Uh, and that's what prayer is all about. Uh, and the apostle said in this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians one eleven, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift uh, granted to us uh, through uh, many. Now think about this for a moment. The Apostle Paul says uh, that one thing that is coming to bear on this uh, is people who are praying for him. I wonder if you ever, if you ever pray uh, for anybody else. Do you ever pray for anybody else? You know, Christianity generally, me, 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 me. <laughs> I, 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 I. You ever hear that song? Give me that thing. Give me that thing. Give me, give me, give me. Give me that thing. Give me that I've just described the average person in prayer. Do you ever, do you realize what this is saying? Do you, do you realize you have the ability to lay hold of God and release a supernatural dimension in somebody else's life? And the Apostle Paul said, thank God uh, uh, people are praying for me. And that resurrection life was triggered by other people praying. You ever pray for me? That's why I'm still alive. <laughs> Whoever the guy is back there working the computer, he called me over and he said, would you come over here a minute and look at this? And he called me over and here's a picture of me uh, in the depression. Standing with my brother and says, you got me out. 
I'm probably four and a half years old, I would guess. Uh, and you'd never dream that that little boy would ever turn into a handsome fellow like me, would you? <laughs> Prayer. Now let me make the point for you this morning. Because every one of you are going to be brought to the place I'm talking about this morning. Sooner or later, God is going to allow you to come to this place. Uh, here's the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12. He's had difficulty. Rick Ross has been um, saying bad things about him. has been following his crusades around and been messing with his uh, converts and has been disrupting and causing bad things to say. Uh, and he's, uh, he's, uh, he's no doubt prayed, God, kill that sucker. <laughs> no, that's what it says. And I prayed about this. You know, David, you read the Bible. David said, you know, God, they break their teeth out, Lord. Read it. May others bow down upon their wives. May their children be desolate. God, you've got to do something. Paul said, I sought the Lord three times for this, uh, that this would pass from me. And then he says these words in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. Listen, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my weakness uh, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Habakkuk is in a horrible circumstance. The country is all voting Democrat. <laughs> Queers have taken over the media. The churches that's supposed to be preaching the gospel have nothing but prostitute ministers. He's in a terrible state but in Habakkuk 2.19, he says, The Lord is my strength. Uh, he will make my feet like deer's feet. Uh, he will make me a walk on my high hills or high places. Listen to me. When I was probably 10 or 11 years old, uh, we were doing wonderful things in those days. Children didn't stay inside and watch TV, uh, thumb computers, and play Game Boys. They got out in life. We're in the woods. We're in the wilderness. We're up by Thumb Butte, which in Prescott is a solid cliff promontory. And uh, we sees uh, somebody has a herd of goats there. You know, a goat would be a wonderful thing for a boy to ride. <laughs> I mean, this is adventure. So we said, let's, let's, let's catch us a goat. So uh, there's probably seven or eight of us, and so... We got in a circle, and we got these goats, and these goats are backing up against this cliff. And, I mean, we've got them. They're trapped. One of us is going to catch one when they try to run. And as we've got them there, uh, they're trapped. There's no way that they're going to escape. Suddenly, the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in my life, one of these goats right up the solid face, and they all, they all fall. And we just... I mean, a man couldn't climb that. There's no way you could get up that, but God equipped them to do it. This is what the, uh, uh, the Scripture says, Habakkuk says, Lord, you made my feet like deer's feet, 
that I might walk upon my high places. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's a place in God, a spiritual dimension that God has made for you to escape in a spiritual dimension. When Habakkuk comes to this place, earlier on in the book it says, uh, when all this stuff came down, uh, I went up into my tower. He's talking about prayer. And God gave him a spiritual dimension that he could rise above. Uh, Those goats are up there. They're looking down to, ha, how you like that? (laughs) And God has that for you. He's able to resurrect in you that confidence uh, in him. That faith that triggers a dynamic inside you that will keep you vital and relevant for the moment in which you live. He is able to. I don't care what the problem is. It doesn't matter what the difficulty is. God has a place for you to rise up and survive the issues of the hour. Don't lose your confidence. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. For We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.